Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now, here's this week's sermon. Hey, guys, if you're here for the first time, welcome to New Vision. We're excited to have you here. Uh, we have a, a saying if you're here. If you're here for the first time, give us three weeks. If, if New Vision is not a place you can call home, we'll help you find a home, a church home, because that's important for us that you're involved in a church home and you get settled in. Um, we also have a gift for you. In front of you is a QR code. You can use your phone to connect with us or go out to the Welcome Center right outside this door to my left. We have a special gift for you today to bless you with, just thanking you for coming here and visiting with us. Um, we just hope that you're blessed and met some of the family members here. Hope you felt blessed and received this morning and go from there. Hey, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament, it's right after Proverbs, Song of Solomon, um, right in the Old Testament. We're joining a journey uh, through this book. Um, the sermon's uh, Grasping the Wind or, uh, is the sermon title. And this morning, we're going to be in chapter one, continuing on where we left off, covering verses three through 11 this morning. You know, when I, when I go to the gym, there's a lot of equipment when you entered into that place. And, and that's where we go, you want to be made healthy, right? So you see the elliptical, you see the treadmill, you see the weights, you see the Stairmaster. And, and when you go in there, you, you're using those machines to get healthy. I think of the treadmill. When you get on that treadmill, you get on, they have this little computer on it, right? And you, you plug in uh, like your weight and, and you plug in like how tall you are. And they want all this data. And then you tell them how far you want to run and, and all these things. And then when you hit the button to go, this computer goes on and shows you a terrain that you can run. And then you, you're, you're off and running. Say you want to sit for five miles and you're on that treadmill and you're off and running for five miles as you're journeying on the TV. You're running all those different things. But what you don't realize is that after you expend all this energy and time and effort, when it's all said and done, you haven't gone anywhere, right? You're exactly where you started. You might feel good about yourself. You felt like you went five miles, but you're still standing in the same place. I think that's how a lot of people feel today. They put a lot of effort into life, right? But they haven't gone anywhere. Right? I think that's exactly how Solomon feels when he starts the introduction to this book, he feels like he's, he's going in circles. He's, he's going nowhere. In fact, Dr. David Jeremiah said this, life feels like you're running on a marathon on a treadmill. I think some of us feel that way about life. We're starting this book because I think this book is real and it's raw. That's why it's relevant. And so Solomon, the author, we learned about that last week as we did the introduction, begins to open up this book with a question, a rhetorical question is what he does. And his message starts kind of in a dark place, if you look at it closely. It starts from his experience of living life on a horizontal level, from working hard and laboring without the Lord, and finding it only produces marginal profits. He's already expressed that all is vanity, life is meaningless, and our life is but a vapor. Now he's expressed his experience in the next few verses. The preacher's message this morning starts on a dark canvas, but he'll bring the color of hope in the latter part of this book. Let's read it this morning. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11 this morning. It says this, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes. 
But the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to, to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its own circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place from which the rivers come and then they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor there will be any remembrance of things that are to come, but those who will come after. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray this morning as we just jump into your word this morning. Lord, you'll lead us. You'll speak to us, Lord. Father, as we look at Solomon's life experience, living a life apart from God in some sense. And so I pray this morning, if we're feeling these same things, Lord, we have hope because we have you. And so I'm praying this morning as we journey through this book, as we journey through these few verses this morning, that you will speak to our hearts. So I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at a couple of things this morning. Here's the first thing. Is there any profit for life? That's a question you have to ask. That's the question that Solomon is asking this morning. All of us want our life to count, right? So many of us desire to live on purpose for a profit. That's why tomorrow you're going to get up and you're going to go to work. And some of you might be educators, so you're pouring into kids. Some might be contractors, so you're investing in building and property. Some of you are, are doctors or whatever profession you are, you're pouring into the very thing you've been educated to because you want your life to count. Students, you go to school because you're learning to be something one day. You're putting in to the work to make life count. But the question is, does it count? Does it really count? Will I end up in the black with everything that I do? That's exactly where Solomon begins in verse 3. He begins with a rhetorical question. Last week, he began with the end in mind in verse 2 when he calls all things vanity. But here's the question he poses. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Look at the phrasing there, toiling under the sun. The word toil is just a, another word for labor or work. In fact, when Solomon is writing this book, he's writing this letter, he's actually looking at life from ground level. From ground level. What does life look like when one labors under the S-U-N and not the S-O-N? In fact, the phrase here this morning, under the sun, can also be translated under heaven. If you drop down to verse 13, if you have your Bibles or books, what are you ever using? It says, I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. He was working. He's laboring. He's putting in the grind. The phrase under the stun is a very interesting phrase because it's found 124 times in 27 verses in this book. So Solomon is trying to get our attention that what does life look like under the sun? Solomon's paying a picture of a working man or woman who lives his life on this side of heaven without considering God. It's one who is more earthly-minded than heavenly-minded. In fact, the preacher is speaking from a perspective laboring apart from God. In fact, he talks about toiling, 
Toil means he labors in pain and anguish and weariness and sorrow. That goes all the way back, what, to the curse in Genesis when man fell in the garden. He says, women, you're going to bring have labor pains to bring forth birth. Your labor is going to come through birth. Men, you're going to labor under the sun or the curse of the ground that you're going to have to work. But the word toil means to have anguish and pain and sorrow. In fact, Romans chapter 8 Verse, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says that those who labor apart from God will experience a labor in tribulation and anguish. That's why David writes this in the Psalms, in Psalm 27, 1, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is in vain who builds it. We know that life is hard with God. Can you imagine without God? And that's the point he's trying to, to make here as he's writing this book. So what we see here in the writing is Solomon has an under-the-sun perspective, a S-U-N perspective, and he's writing from that perspective. So let's just take a quick journey of the preacher's life leading to this point because I want you to understand what got him to this point to have this perspective. We know that Solomon was raised in a believing household, right? By King David, that was his father. Bathsheba was his mother. In fact, if you think about it, what's the chapter before chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes is Proverbs 31, you go back one chapter of the book of Proverbs, it's his mom, Bathsheba, talking about what a godly woman looks like. He says, let me tell you the woman that I called you to marry. And so he's given this, this example to him, the mom, to say, this is what you're looking for. You want a, you want a, a men? You want a, a list of what you want to marry in a woman? Go to Proverbs 31. But it also has requirements for a godly men in Proverbs 31 at the beginning. Women read Proverbs 31 and say, this is what I want in a man, and this is what I want in a woman. That's my, that's my homework for you today. But he, she lays that out there right before he gets in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. David loved his son. So right before his days, before he passes, he writes in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, I go the way of the earth, be strong. Therefore, prove yourself a man. You know, this is dad talking to his son. Mijo, I'm going to tell you what a man looks like. Right? That's what he's saying. I'm on my deathbed. Let me just speak some truth into you. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, and is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. He's on his deathbed giving this to his son. Solomon loved his father and he loved the Lord. We read that in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. He had a faith background. So how did he get to this point in his life? How did he get off track? How did his life derail from the faith? We know that the Lord gave a prohibition against marrying foreign wives or unbelieving wives. We read that in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 2. We read that in Deuteronomy. We read that in Ezra 9 and 10. And throughout the scriptures, it talks about not marrying unbelieving women of the faith. So what Solomon did, he takes an unbelieving wife from Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter. We read that in 1 Kings chapter 2, right? And then later in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says that Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. And then later we read 11.3 of Kings, 1 Kings, that he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. These women began to dilute his faith. I think there's a warning there for men and women, for single men and women, that you're seeking someone who loves God. Let me tell you something. You're not marrying a Christian. Well, what are you talking about, pastor? 
You're not marrying a Christian. You're marrying a lover of Jesus. Because there are a lot of people that say they're Christians that are not lovers of Jesus. You're wearing ones who are followers of Jesus. And what happened with Solomon, how he got off trails, was he began to pour his heart into unbelieving women that turned his own heart. See, Solomon started with the favor of God and it turned to the frown of God. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 3, 9 to 14, we know that God gives him a blessing, right? He comes to me and he says, Solomon, ask, I will give you anything. What do you want? And Solomon says, I want to be like my pops, man. He needed wisdom. I need wisdom. And so because he asked for wisdom, the Lord was pleased. He was happy. He had a smile on Solomon's life. And he says, because you asked for that, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you influence. I'm going to give you honor. He gave him more than he even asked for. But we know as Solomon journeyed his life and he began to be involved with the women, in 1 Kings 11, 9, it says, so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord, the God of Israel. We, we can be great starters and terrible finishers in the faith. We can come to the altar, and then after a while, we don't see you no more. Come on, come on. See, see what's going on is, is like the wisest man took an unbelieving wife. You know what that means? That sometimes our greatest strengths can be our greatest weaknesses. That he was a wise man, and yet he made a foolish decision. Right? Well, I'm okay with this. I'm protected. And sometimes, guys, I'm, I'm safe in this area, so we don't guard it. But you are, we're more concerned that we're fearful of this area, and that's how the enemy will come after us. Be careful lest you fall, Scripture says. And so we began to love the things of this world. It reminds me of a man called Demas in the New Testament who came to know the Jesus, started loving out God, walked with Paul, journeyed with Paul, but in the latter part of his life, Paul writes that for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He walked away. And because of his heart being diluted, because he began to walk away and have this black backsliding life, Solomon's perspective changed from living above the sun to under the sun. And he entered in this backsliding state and it changed his whole perspective about life. James says in 115 that when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. What began to happen is this sin will bring hardness to our own heart, it will cauterize our own hearts. When we get involved in mess and sin apart from God, it'll do something to the heart. It'll make it hard. We'll have no feeling to what is right. In fact, it's kind of, it's a form of death. And what happened because Solomon began to make these poor choices, his life began to snowball. Sin began to metastasize like cancer. It began to grow in him. And so that's why he has this perspective. You know what sin will do? Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Just ask Solomon. That's exactly what happened to his life. And so at this point, Solomon sees no profit in what he's doing. That's his perspective. That's how he's seeing things. What profit is a man when he labors? In fact, the word profit here in this verse, it's a business term. It's mentioned only in this book and it appears nine times. The word profit means that which is left over. After the bills are paid, the payroll is out, what is left over? What is the profit margin? That's the term he's using here, right? You spend your whole life working, laboring, and what do you have to show for it? Will your life count? He's looking at it from that perspective. 
And so Solomon's troubled by the small gains under the sun, right? Life is short, then we die. What are we going to gain out of this life? We just did a soccer tournament last week in the park, right? And here's a soccer illustration for you, right? For you soccer fans, life feels like a lot of ball passing but a few goals. Listen, Jesus references in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He says this, For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Same word in the New Testament as the Old Testament. What's the profit margin? How can we profit? This is the perspective by which Solomon is writing. This is the background by which he's writing, right? Solomon is struggling with the purpose and profit of life. So here's the second thing. He begins to illustrate these feelings. He takes this question, and then he's going to start answering these questions through illustrations. And so the first one is he looks at the, the cycle of nature. We see it in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 4 through 7, right? The will of nature, how things turn, right? Man, uh, last, this last summer, I, a couple of us in Hope House kids, we went to Knott's Berry Farm. And, and uh, we had a lot of fun out there. And in the heyday, my younger days, man, I could ride any roller coaster with no problem. Right? When I was younger, man, I was the best. I get on any roller coaster and I get off nauseated. Even the tea cuts mess me up. <laughs> right? All the kids are riding those roller coasters and I'm like, no, thank you. I'm getting nauseous watching you. <laughs> My age is caught up to me, right? And some of us, you know, some of us, we go at different paces in life. Some of us get on the merry-go-round and we go up and down and we're fine with it. Others are, they go 100 miles per hour like a NASCAR driver, always making left turns and going in circles, right? But we don't realize about these rides is that we always end up in the same place. We pay the price, we go in circles, and we end up where we started. I think Solomon, that's the point that Solomon is trying to get us across here. Life just keeps going in circles and it's making me sick. I think we only feel this way when we see things from a natural, not a spiritual. We only look at life from the horizontal, and when we look at life from the horizontal, it doesn't make sense. We're only spinning our wheels and going nowhere. So Solomon illustrates this point of futility by looking at the cycles of nature. He looks at earth, wind, sun, water. He's going to use these illustrations to help us understand his points. So he talks about the cycle of life in verse 4, Right? In some ways, he's a philosopher, he's a geologist. He says this, one generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. What he's saying is life is filled with births and deaths, right? The tides of life, waves come in and they, they come out. We celebrate weddings and birthdays and, and all these things. It's just the, the cycle of life. Life is predictable. It has rhythms. But all of us would go the way of men, as David had said, on his deadbed. Right? In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, it says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of, for out of it you were, take, where you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. We're all going to face death. There's a cycle to life. There's a, a going and a coming and a remaining, he says in this verse, right? When we pass, what remains? The earth, it says. The earth will remain. When one passes, there's only one thing that reigns, and that's earth, because what? Life goes on. Life go on. The earth is the foundation that remains after we are gone, and we build from it. 
We've all been watching the devastation of Hawaii and Maui and the island being burned. We lost almost 100 people there. A lot of destruction of buildings, but the earth still remains. We see the cycle of life. You only have to go to the grave sites, right? You see the cycle of life. And that's the, that's the perspective by which Solomon is speaking from. It, it, it's, it's a beginning and an end. Life is just a coming and a going. Then, it, then he turns to the, the cycle of the sun, and we see that in verse 5, right? Now Solomon becomes an astronomer. Look at the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. You know, the sun and sun, sunrise and sunsets, that has to do with time. Has to do with time, right? We have been given a cycle of time. There's 24 hours in a day, there's seven days a week, 52, year, 52 weeks in a year, and we labor under the sun. For some of us, we work under the heat of the day for you contractors out there right? We are busy people, but are we profiting? That's the question. Are we profiting a life? Solomon is sharing that life is so busy, but not profitable. And he uses the word hasten to the place. Now, it's a referencing of the new sunrise. If you put it in context, there's a sunset, sunrise, and it comes back and forth. It's a hastening. But the, actually, that word in the Hebrew means, it, it translates panting from exhaustion, it's a picture of a runner who rises up early and enters a race and comes home exhausted only to do it again the next day. Guys, we work so hard and return home so depleted that we can't enjoy what we're working for. We can't enjoy what we're working for, right? Solomon is asking, is it worth it? Are we really profiting in our time? I'm going to take a little rabbit trail here as it relates to this thought here. Then I'll jump back into the text, right? What does life look like if we live above the sun, right? If we live with God in mind, right? Sunrise for those who live above the sun will see it as another opportunity to glorify God, to worship God in our business and our vocation and what we do to honor him, right? Your work is profitable because it has a purpose, you know, it's not that your purpose is to make money. It's your purpose is to glorify God. It's your purpose is to be a light in the darkness. It's your, God has placed you where he's placed you for a purpose was to bring God's presence into your workplace and into your purpose. That's why we can go to the trial and say, God, you got a purpose in this. Because he works it all out for the good who are called according to his purpose. So don't get mad at your job and don't get mad at your boss and don't get mad at your coworkers and don't get frustrated because you've, you've, you've forgotten your purpose in the workplace. You've placed me here for such a time as this. See, the rays of the sun was created so that we might even be reminded of the creator. That's Romans chapter one, verse 20, that men will be, won't be without excuse about the creator of God because it speaks about it in the creation. But those who live under the sun, see it, See it a day. Those who live under the sun see it as another day to labor and toil to sustain what they have and to gain more of what won't satisfy. That's why people just try to live for the weekend. If I could just get through the work week, it's a drudgery, so I can go to the weekend and party and try to fill what won't in me what won't satisfy me. So we have to think from above the sun. Then he gives a cycle of the wind and water in verse six and seven. It says this. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls continually and comes again on the circuit. All the rivers run into the sea. 
that the sea is not full to the place for which the rivers come, there they return. He first talks about the wind, right? Now he's a meteorologist, Solomon is, because why? He's the wisest man. He has a lot of insight to life. He has a lot of insight about what things are. And through nature, Solomon is revealing the repetitive nature we live in. The breeze of the day has, has a circular motion. The wind is in a constant motion. That's why the Lord speaking to Nicodemus says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. Life is like the wind. It's constantly moving and shifting. But yet you can experience it and, and feel it and live in it. And in some way, he's the, he's the weather caster of the day. He's forecasting of what's to come, right? Think about nature. We have seasons in our life. Well, nature has seasons. We have winter, spring, summer, fall. That was instituted in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. We see that. That's part of the creation. But we also have seasons in life, right? That is the nature of life. Solomon is living under the sun and has a hard time enjoying the breeze of the moment, the season of the moment. For some of us, the wind is like a hurricane to us right? Life is destroyed by the hurricane-like storms of our life, and how can we profit from these storms? You, you think sometimes your storms in your life is maybe punishment, but maybe it's not punishment. Maybe it's God's way of perfecting. Maybe it's God's way of refining. Maybe it's God's way of, of strengthening. Never underestimate the storm. God used many storms to teach the disciples what it means to have faith with the disciples. Just read the New Testament on how many storms were on the Sea of Galilee to train the disciples, right? Right? We're struggling with the whirlwind of life that seems to continually circle around us. We can never get ahead, we feel like. We're always fighting for, we're always fighting the pressures of the wind and how can we profit? This is how Solomon is feeling. Talks about the wind, but then he talks about the water, right? He's a hydrologist, right? He's revealing the hydrological cycle, the evaporation cycle in, in this verse, right? Rivers pour into the sea, but the banks never overflow. It evaporates, it goes up to the sky, and then rain comes and returns back to the sea. There's a, a cycle of evaporation happening, right? In the book of Job, chapter 36, 27, it says that he draws up the drop of the water, which distills as rain to the streams. Now, we never think that science and the Bible can go together. And yet we have all these things happening, talking about things before they were ever instituted on science, right? Solomon is looking at the tedious repetition of life, the routine of life that lacks, in some sense, variety. You know what? We feel sometimes like we need to be always doing something instead of just resting. For those living under the sun, life feels restless. Those living above the sun, we abide in him. That's why Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am a God. Abide in me. Maybe Solomon feels like his life is dissipating, like evaporation. Remember, he said, my life is like a vapor. He's, he's, a, he's, at, he's in his old age at this time, and he says, it's slipping away. I'm evaporating. I'm disappearing like the wind, like the evaporation of water. Maybe you feel that way. I feel like I'm not seen. I'm just there, but not seen right? I think what Solomon is trying to illustrate and the point he's trying to make in, in our writings here this morning is really that the monotony of life, the routine of life, right? 
Generations passes, another comes, the sun rises and sun sets, the wind comes and it goes, the water fills the sea and then evaporates. The monotony of life. Some of us think that's bad, right? But how can there be any profit in our monotonous life? See, we cannot see life, life's routines as bad. We dine with our family. Enjoy it. You're with your family. We celebrate life's achievements and anniversaries and birthdays and graduations. Those are routines. Honor it. We worship a God in, who is consistent and faithful. We praise him. That's where we gather every Sunday. We practice the Sunday gatherings. Is, is it healthy for the body and the spirit? Life's consistency is the anchor for the storms of life. It brings stability and it brings security. That's what it brings. That's important. Those disciplines and practices are important to our lives. And then Solomon begins to give another life cycle. The third thing here, the life cycle of labor. We see that in Ecclesiastes 1, 8 through 11, right? We all familiar with Bonnie and Clyde, right? Remember those Bonnie and Clyde, they were criminals, right? Famous bank robbers during the Depression. And for a season, they enjoyed the life of crying. But later, Bonnie was jaded by the lifestyle. So she said this, I thought we were going somewhere, but I just see we are going. Some of us feel that life is going, but going nowhere. Life is going in circles, going from one activity to another. You set goals to give life meaning, but you feel like you're just spinning your wheels, and that the speed of life is only leads to drifting, and if you're not careful, can lead to destruction. Bonnie and Clyde pursued the criminal life that led to death. But I'm not saying people are doing the same thing, but anything apart from God can lead to a shell of life. The pursuit of material wealth and relationships, education, recognition will not fulfill the thirst that many are trying to quench. So he looks at verse 8 and he says, look at the weariness is what we see and hear. Look at verse 8. All the things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What he's saying is our labor, our work is wearisome. It's overwhelming. And Solomon says, I can't even explain it. It's without expression. And so now Solomon has taken off his scientific hat and he's put on his historian hat. He's making a shift here. And we see a shift in his message. He, he's appealing to the, our appetite. The, in some ways, the appetite of destruction. He's, he's dealing with the internal and the external desires here. And it talks about hearing and seeing. Because it says the eyes are never satisfied. Like the ocean's filling is never full. In fact, our eyes are bigger than our stomachs sometimes, right? You ever go out to dinner and you order more than you can eat? Because your eyes are just desiring it. It's desiring that big chocolate cake. Right? You know you can't eat it and shouldn't have it, but you want it. Right? We always order more than we can eat. <laughs> the lust of the eyes prompts this internal craving. The eyes, right? We purchase items that we can't afford, right? That's why we're in debt. It's the lust of the, of the eyes. And we live above our own means. We maybe go about purchasing clothes or we want to get this nice car that we can't afford or want a bigger house. Or we, we, we pursue for materialisms and things that's going to satisfy because it looks so good. They tell me that advertisement doesn't work. That's a lie. 
On Super Bowl Sunday, what do they do? They pay millions of dollars for a 30-second commercial to feed your lust of your eyes. And it works because these businesses are in business. Listen, ironically, the pursuit of, for happiness actor Will Smith admitted in an interview that success of his family almost destroyed his family. He says, he was pushing his kids into a role they didn't want to do, and they began to resent him, the interview said. His motivation was to do better than his father. And he, and he thought, you could win your way to happiness. And Will Smith said this, and I quote, material circumstances do not equal happiness, and in, and in a lot of cases, they can be the reason you're not happy. You can have so much stuff that makes you miserable. Will Smith realized that fame and fortune doesn't always result in happiness. That was the conclusion he came in this interview and what was going on with his family. You know what? Our culture, our culture is always on the look to hear something new, to hear something, because we're unsatisfied, right? A new podcast, a new philosophy, a new theology, new music, we're like the Greeks, man. We're just trying to get knowledge, try to hear about knowledge. Paul wrote that in the last days in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm sorry, Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, it says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't endure the truth. But according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The things that are make-believe the things that aren't true. I think that's the culture that we're living. We're just buying to everything. We will see and believe anything today that looks and sounds good. Just because it looks and sounds good doesn't mean it is. You know, we can't be, we can't be like that junkie looking for the next high. Our eyes and ears are never satisfied because our hearts are restless without God. And we'll never find peace and rest in the things on this side of heaven. Ears itch, eyes lust, so the beat goes on. What the world under the sun is doing is pointing us to the world above the sun. Because what we see and hear on this side of heaven is not enough. What Solomon is saying is, I've seen it all and I heard it all. That's what he's saying here. Be careful. Be careful what you guard with your eyes what you get on the internet, what you're watching on the TV, what you're hearing on the rail. Whether you realize it or not, you are being discipled in something. You're pouring a belief system into your, into your mind. And we spend more time with that than we do in the word. What do you think is going to win? What do you think is going to take over? Where are you going to get your theology and belief system from, right? When two dogs are fighting, the question is, what dog will win? The one you feed the most. That's the one that will win. But in verse 9 and 10, we see here, there's nothing new we haven't seen. Look at 9 and 10. That which has been is what will be, and that which is done will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun, and there's nothing, and there is anything, is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ancient times before us. Listen, nothing is new, it's just an advancement of that which is old right? It's just a repackaging of the old. Pastor, I know what you're thinking. How can you say 
that when we've seen all such advancements in medical and space and telecommunication and internet and AI, man, that's why the church of the world seems so archaic. They're just so out of touch. Remember, who's writing the book? Solomon, the wisest man in the world. You remember the author. You know, we have grown over the years in the medical world. You can go to the hospital, you can get medicine, right? But Luke, there was, a, there was hospitals in the Old Testament, there was hospitals in the ancient times. Luke was a medical missionary doctor who took care of Paul and served Paul and had remedies and all those things. But we just advanced what was already existing. Well, we've seen space travel. Okay, this might sound funny, but we had space travel in the Old Testament. Enoch and Elijah were taken up. <laughs> Come on now, to the, the, to the heavens. All right, we had space travel before Apollo 11. Okay, we are already doing space travel. Some of us are going to be doing some space travel in the future. Well, there's, there's different forms of, we have different forms of communication, right? Do you remember the phones that used to dial with the things? Some of you may not know that. Young people, you may not know the phones we had. The rotary phones, you know, you put your finger and you put number two. Right? Young people, you've never seen those things. You find them in the antique store, right, for souvenirs. I even remember when the first cell phone came in that big army phone you used to buy. You know, I mean, the communication, like it, you would like, you couldn't hang it on your thing. It'd be like, tension, mayday, mayday. You know what I mean? And it's just an advance. We just made that with that smaller, more compact, more usable, right? And we have different languages, communication. Just go to the Tower of Babel. He's, he scattered the whole world with different languages in the Old Testament. The ancient times, the ancient days, right? Just because we advanced doesn't mean it was really good. In the 1700s, we had the Industrial Age. The industrial, the industrial ages that started moving business in the city, that families had to get broken up because they couldn't take care of the families. And so the families broke up. The men left the homes to go work in the industrial age. That's why they set up tent revivals like Finney and Moody. They were beginning to take people to the people because the people couldn't go to church anymore. The, the industrial age actually broke the family up. Philosopher Marcus Aurelius said this, they that come after us will see nothing new, and they who went before us saw nothing more than what we have seen. <laughs> right? But let me ask you this, as it talks about advancement and nothing new in the sun. We can advance society, but we haven't advanced the heart. <laughs> you can give a man a, a new coat, but that doesn't change the man or woman in that coat. He's still the same person, right? Education doesn't change the heart. And we could be futile in our thinking. Education only makes us think more highly of ourselves. And we become smarter sinners. <laughs> we have advanced in achievement, but have digressed in morality. So the question is, is advancement better? Yes. But are we better? We're only perfecting the imperfection from the fall. That's what we're advancing, Right? And I think sometimes the ancient things are better. That's why Proverbs 22, 20 says, do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have set. Sometimes old is better. 
If we change the heart of man, we'll change the mind of man and women. The gospel changes the man in the coat. Come on, come on. And you can run away from your problems. You can't, and you can't, but you can run away from your problems, but you can't run away from yourself. Come on. You're the problem. <laughs> and we're all sinners in need of a savior. You can write me email later. We need to be born of God or born of the Spirit. And John 3, 3 says that unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Solomon closes the verse 11 with this. He talks about the things we do will be forgotten. Look 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. What he's saying is we will be forgotten for our achievements. The next generation will come and forget us. That sounds miserable. Awesome. I just wanted to cheer you up this morning. <laughs> that you're going to be forgotten. Nobody's going to remember you. The hard work you put, you put in is going to be forgotten. Why? That's why we have monuments and statues and hall of fames so we can remember, right? Our mark of life lasts as long as the footprints of the sand. Right? This present generation has historical amnesia. It doesn't remember. They forget the achievements of the past. We see that in the scriptures. You remember Joseph, who was the hero of Egypt, who saved God's people? Then a new pharaoh comes in, a new sheriff, and doesn't know who Joseph is, and enslaves the people. Amnesia, historical amnesia. Forgot who Joseph was in the history of his own people. We see that being played out. But here's our hope today, guys. I know we've been listening a bunch of downers because of Solomon where he's at, but there's hope for us. There's hope for us today, right? And I, there's hope because there's, there is something that's not forgotten, right? For a man who lives on a horizontal, you'll be forgotten. But a man who lives above the sun on a vertical, God will not forget us. Hebrews 10, 6 says this, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor for the love which you have shown toward his name. He will not forget you. Proverbs 10, 7 says, the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Think about the story in Luke chapter 16. We know the story. It's the story about Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was a poor man begging at the gate of the rich man. Sores, licking his sores, poverty, living in poverty. Rich man wouldn't help. We don't even know the name of the rich man but both of them die. One goes to Abraham's bosom, which is heaven. The other one goes to hell. We don't know his name, but we know Lazarus' name. See, God remembers his people. Hallelujah. He won't remember the wicked, come on, come on. but he'll remember the righteous. So we have hope this morning. We have hope for those who live above the sun because there's, there's something new on the sun above, right? We have a new covenant. A new agreement by the blood of the Lamb. We have a new community called the church. That's new. We have a, a new way of living called holiness. We, we have a, a new heart. We are new creations. We have a new heaven and earth promised to us. There are a lot of new things that we have when we live above the sun. So as we close this morning, I just want to remind you of these things as we're journeying through. It seems a little depressing, but you're going to see a little sunshine as we continue on in the story.
But we got to go through the valley before we see the sunrise. Solomon, we're taking Solomon through the valley right now. He's, he's, in, the, he's in a dark place, but he's going to come out of that dark place because there's hope. Here's number one. There's no prophet on this side of heaven apart from God. There's no prophet on this side of heaven apart from God. Here's the second thing. Life has its cycles, and apart from God, it can be depressing. And lastly, life has nothing new under the sun, so our only hope is God. Our only hope is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace, Lord. Lord, I just pray for those in the room, Lord, this morning. I don't know where they're at or where they're going or what God's doing, but I just pray, Lord, that they got a little bit taste of heaven this morning by your word. Father, they can begin to understand how life really works, the cycles of life. But you have a hope in the midst of the cycles. And so, Lord, I'm praying this morning for your people, Lord, that they be encouraged by your word, be encouraged by following. And if you're here this morning, and you're like, man, Pastor, I'm feeling like I need something. I'm missing something. I'm living life on a horizontal level, not on a vertical level. That, that first comes by putting your faith in Jesus, by putting your trust in God. If you're here this morning and never put your trust in God or don't understand what that means, we'd love to meet with you. But if you, if you just want to raise your hand, I want to pray for you this morning. If there's somebody who said, I just got to put my faith in you at this point in my life. That's the starting point. Just raise your hand if anybody wants that this morning. I see you, I see you. I see you in the back. Anybody else? I see you in the back. Father, I pray for those that are they're raising their hands this morning. Father, they've, they've kind of tasted a little bit of what Solomon tasted, and they said, I want something different. I drank the Kool-Aid of the world, and it's not what I thought it was going to be. So I want to drink of the living water. And so I pray for them as they raise their hand, Lord. I pray you would touch them this morning, Lord. I pray that you would minister to them, that they would receive you by faith, by confession, Lord. Lord, they would trust in you with their whole heart. They would put their eyes to be fixed upon you, Lord, not on this world. Lord, not on the philosophies they hear of this world. There's no life. Men's words are not inspired. Only God's word is inspired. And so we trust the inspired word of God today because the inspired word of God is what changes our heart, what transforms us. So I pray for these individuals now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For those that raise their hand, this is what I want you to do. After church, I want you to come up to me and see me because I want to give you something, okay? I want to give you after Thanks service. Thanks again for joining us. Contact you. us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.